This is the Thrive Podcast with Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And now, Pastor Fred Jeff Smith. Hello and welcome to the 29th edition of the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to either view or listen in today. And I am delighted to have one of the bright and shining stars of Shiloh, Sister Kenyatta Collins, here as my guest today. If you are a member of Shiloh, Uh, Then if you didn't know Kenyatta before, you certainly know her now, because since the start of 2018, uh, Kenyatta has been our video DJ here at Shiloh. Uh, We we started uh, the new year uh, using our screens uh, for video announcements, and Kenyatta has been doing the video announcements for the church, and she has done an absolutely outstanding job. And... uh, I thought it would be good today to have the opportunity to get to know her a little bit more, not just as uh, the young lady who does the video announcements, but she has uh, quite a bit of talent, uh, she has quite a bit of ability, and she has quite an interesting story to tell. So Kenyatta, thank you for being a part of the Thrive Podcast today. Thank you for having me. Do you enjoy doing the, the video announcements? I absolutely love doing the morning announcements. I get a thrill out of it. I look forward to the recording. The From the time the email is sent to me to me actually typing out my script to the recording to Sunday morning, just me watching myself, all of it is a joy to me. You get a kick out of seeing yourself on the big screen? I really do. <laughs> I really do. Oh, good. I honestly do. Good. You do a wonderful job. When, 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 when it first started, of course, they were done rather straight and rather... Uh, I, I can say rather dry, but you all have have found new and innovative ways in which to do it. And, and all that I hear from the members uh, is we love Kenyatta doing the video announcement. So uh, you, you all have found creative and innovative ways to do that. And uh, it makes the announcements a, a highlight of the worship experience rather than a uh, a, a drag on the worship experience. One of the things as, as, as a pastor, as a worship leader, one of the things that you have to deal with is that there are periods in a worship experience that are necessary, but are not really uh, things that the congregation are excited about. Offertory period is one. Uh, that's why many uh, of, the, of our contemporary churches have gone away from having an offertory period in the traditional sense where the ushers come down the aisle and collect the offering. They either have it done in such a way that the offering is picked up while worship is going on or they have a place for people to drop their giving off before uh, they come into worship or after they leave worship. But uh, there's no good place to put the offering and in a similar way there's no good place to put the announcements uh uh and here at Chicago we do it in two different places uh, in the eight o'clock worship is in the middle of the worship in the 11 o'clock worship except for first sundays because of the lord's supper it's at the tail end of the worship and uh you have made it must see uh, Shiloh. Uh, people who used to get up and walk out. Oh, I can't leave now because Kenyatta's going to do the announcements. <laughs> so they really enjoy it. And I'm glad that you're enjoying doing it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Tell us the Kenyatta story. This is what I do with all my guests. First thing I ask is tell, tell your story. Who is Kenyatta Collins? Well, I'm Kenyatta, first of all. 
Okay. <laughs> um, I'm originally from originally from North Louisiana, Winsboro to be exact. I moved to Baton Rouge with family back in 97, and that is when I joined Shiloh in May of 1997. Okay. Since then, I've been an active member. Um, throughout high school, I was involved in Youth in Action, Circle of the Chosen, Bible Study, Sunday School. Every time the doors of the church swung open, I was here. And even as an adult, it carried over. So I've always been active in church, and I've always wanted to have a big hand in the worship experience, and I just didn't really know where I would fit in. So I kind of, you know, would just come every Sunday, sit back, and do what I was supposed to do, and God just made a way for me to just use my talents to bless others. And when the opportunity came about the about the video announcements, I was on the fence for a minute because I was like, okay, well... I don't think I would be able to do it because I don't have the personality for it. I'm dry, but you know, God sprinkled a little seasoning on me, so I'm here. There's nothing dry about <laughs> your personality at all. I, I don't think I think it's a refreshing, young, vibrant, uh, attractive personality. I don't think I'm funny at all, but to the members of Shiloh, I'm extremely funny. I was just in the supermarket the other day, and a member approached me. You're Kenyatta M. Collins. And I, yes, ma'am, I am. <laughs> You're so funny. We look forward to seeing you every Sunday. Yes, ma'am. And I, I just, I mean, I'm just overwhelmed with joy. I mean, I, who knew I could have so much supporter wow. <laughs> in church? And I'm just happy about it. We're happy about it, too. Tell me about Kenyatta away from Shiloh. What, what is it that Kenyatta is interested in away from Shiloh? Kenyatta away from Shiloh is a laid back, vibrant young woman. I'm single, so I spend a lot of my time with friends. Um, I like to listen to music. I love shopping. I love photography. I love live music. Um, I love working with children. Painting is my thing. I love to paint. I would consider myself a low-budget artist. Okay. <laughs> Tell me um, about the low-budget artist thing. Uh, we, we have a gentleman here uh, in our church, Madison Tabor, who does outstanding sketch art. Uh, he, he does it primarily with a pencil, but, but he also does in color. Uh, when, when you say that you are an artist, what kind of art do you produce? What, 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 what is your preferred style of art? I don't necessarily have a preferred style of art. I don't have any background in art. I'm just a person that, I, like I said, would take a picture in photography. I would take that picture and I would come home and just put it up on a computer and just try to sketch it out. And then I would paint it. So that's what I mean when I say low budget. Using the supplies that I have, little paint around the house, nothing major. I haven't graduated to the big step yet, to Mr. Tabor's uh, status. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, what else about me that's so fascinating? Let's see. I have this thing about wigs now. I like hair. <laughs> I, I've been natural for a while. So I find joy and comfort in wearing wigs because it's so convenient. It is an interesting thing. And since you brought it up, we're going to talk about it okay. for, for just a second. 30 years ago, the idea of a weave that a woman put in her hair was something that comedians made jokes about. Uh, th there are whole bits about women wearing fake hair uh, in order to uh, change their look. Martin Lawrence had a sitcom at that time, and, and he would regularly tease uh, one of the co-stars, Pam, for always wearing a weave. 20 years later, 25 years later, 
it is just what is and and nobody thinks twice about it what happened to bring about that change when you, you said you're 33 so when you were 13 weaves and wigs were a joke and now at 33 it's not what what do you see as a young woman that accounted for the change i weaves and wigs have always been a thing it's just been a matter of who wear who was wearing them at the time mm -hmm. When I was 13, we had weaves. It was called track hair. We would go to that store, to the store, and buy the track hair in the pack, and we would glue it on a stocking cap. We didn't know that at that time that we were making wigs. We called them quick weaves. Okay. So here we are now, years later, and we're still gluing these these hair, these track hairs, on these stocking caps. But now we're sewing them on there, creating wigs that last longer. Okay. So you can wear a wig. From a quick weave for maybe three or four weeks, but this wig will last you three to five months or okay. longer. Um, we used to tease each other back in the day because our grandmothers wore wigs. You know, oh, your grandmother wore a wig, ha, ha, ha. Well, now I want to wear my grandmother's wigs mm -hmm. because I need those wigs. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, I just bought this wig just to come here just for this podcast. So I'm wearing a brand new wig on the podcast. <laughs> I just want everyone to know that I am wearing a brand new wig on today. Well, we appreciate the effort uh, on your part. <laughs> Still, though, help me to understand what accounted for the change in the attitude about weaves and wigs, whereas at one point it was considered a joke. Now it's just considered standard fare. Nobody thinks twice about it. I think culture. TV had a, has played a huge role in that. We would see celebrities with this, these long tracks, these long extensions, hair, and right. that's what we wanted. Right. So we would see Nicki Minaj with long hair and bundles, and we would say, oh, I want hair like Nicki Minaj. I want that pink Barbie look. So that's how the whole bundles came about. And bundles are way more expensive than anything. So now we've graduated from maybe 20 to $30 a pack to maybe $300 worth of, you know, your face just changed. <laughs> Yeah, three and four hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, you. I have a friend that makes wigs, and it would run you about between maybe five and eight hundred dollars. My my my. Maybe yes. I need to get into the wig making <laughs> I seriously believe that Baton Rouge needs a black-owned hair store. I really. That's something that I would really want to invest in. You mean to tell me that with all of the African American women who wear wigs and wear weaves, there is not a black owned or a black manufacturer of weaves and wigs in Baton Rouge? No ma'am. I did no, not sir. know that. No sir, there isn't. There is not. So who's making this money? The Vietnamese. Really? Yes. The Vietnamese are the wholesalers and the black salons purchase that hair from them. They're the vendors and then we sell it to our people at whatever price we set. But we're not, we're the middleman. We're ne never not, we're just not the top person in this hair chain. We go through the Vietnamese. So what does that say about us and, and, and economics and, yeah. and, and economic opportunity? Because I mean, what, what you're describing is a viable, vibrant, and growing industry. And, and yet African-Americans are not in the manufacturing end of that industry at, at this time in this area. How did we miss this opportunity? I think we've all, we've known that the opportunity is has been there. We've just never stepped up to the plate to take that opportunity. Maybe afraid of the hit and miss. We'll be afraid of where would it go? 
what part of Baton Rouge would we put it in? North Baton Rouge, South Baton Rouge? Um, would people actually support it? If because it's manufacturing, it, it it really wouldn't matter what area of town it's in. It would provide jobs for people. Uh, Shiloh just celebrated its 146th uh, church anniversary. I'm not bragging on that, uh, but, but we are proud of, of the fact that we're 146 years old. But one of the things that we put in the worship folder uh, as a way of trying to educate people about Shiloh. We had a blurb about, did you know Shiloh does this, that, and the other. And one of the things that we mentioned is that as a black church with a, uh, an early learning center uh, and a bargain center and a charitable foundation, Shiloh is one of the largest minority uh, employers in the city of Baton Rouge. Shiloh has over 60 employees, either full-time or part-time employees. And, and, and the fact that we are able to employ people, we, we actually put food on families' tables. We help families pay their mortgages and their rent and their car notes because we employ these people. That's what African-Americans say we're supposed to do. We want black entrepreneurship. And so I'm curious as to how we can be such consumers of this product, weaves and, and wigs and the like, and yet we're not in on the manufacturing end of it. That, that, that just seems troubling to me. You're missing an outstanding opportunity to be an entrepreneur and to provide employment for other people. And that comes back to the old saying, black people don't want to work. We want to make the money, but we don't want to work for it. And I think a large part of that is we're looking at how much it would take, what it would take to invest in it, and our minds are just stuck on that. And that's what's holding us back, honestly. But the idea of having a black-owned hair store in Baton Rouge is a huge need, a very huge need. In fact, Pastor, you should make your first investment to me. (laughs) (laughs) Give me a business plan, and and, and, and we'll see what we can do. Okay. Okay. Clearly, you you have an interest in broadcast journalism. Uh, You have an interest in media. Uh, talk about how that interest developed and evolved. I've always felt like I've had something to say, even when I didn't have anything to say. As a child, my mom would always say, I talk too much, I'm nosy, I was in everybody's business, I listened, but I was never allowed to listen when grown folks talked. Mm -hmm. So it was always child's play. But growing up in high school was when I actually figured out what I wanted to do in life. And that's when I got my first shot at being a photographer, when I picked up my first camera Mm -hmm. to work on the yearbook uh, committee. They carried over into high school, and I had two choices. My grandmother told me that I could go to any college I wanted to in Baton Rouge. So it was either LSU or Southern or BRCC. And I chose BRCC because I thought it was going to be an easy route. And my grandmother said, no, you have to choose four years. So I chose Southern. Little did I know, it would not be a cakewalk. It was not easy. College taught me a lot. It challenged me. It practically made me into the person that I am now. Southern University taught me survival, how to make it work, perseverance. And when it didn't, when I shot my first stick at being a reporter and it didn't work, Mm -hmm. I could have easily given up. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. I stayed around. 
I stuck it out and I said, well, I'm going to find other avenues in this field to still be able to work. So I went from trying to be in front of the camera to behind the camera. Mm -hmm. So I learned a little about master control. I learned about editing, shooting, and things of that nature. So now we're back at the drawing board. And now that I have a little bit of all this, a little bit of this experience, I'm able to take that and to carry it into something that I want to do on my own, which is why I want to have my own TV show. And I want to use that to bridge the connection between the black communities and the media in Baton Rouge on a positive note. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things that take place in Baton Rouge that the news doesn't highlight, particularly in black communities, because it's in a black community. So one way to get the attention of our people is they have to see it. So I want to be able to put something together on video so that my people are able to see the good things that others are doing in the community and maybe that'll motivate them to want to, you know, decrease their violent ways and try to be a better productive citizen in Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. So you, I heard you talking before we started recording the podcast about your ideas regarding your own television program uh, and, and they sound very exciting do you want to do the traditional broadcast on network television are you interested in cable are you interested in doing uh, internet because these days you have Netflix and Amazon and things of that sort are you interested how, how exactly would, would you present this to to the public I would use social media for starters and eventually transition into cable, TV, mainstream. Um, social media has gotten, is way more powerful than it was back when we were growing up, mm -hmm. particularly Facebook. Back in my day, like I'm old, but back in, <laughs> <laughs> when Facebook got started, you had to have a college email address to get on Facebook. Right. And you don't have to have that anymore. It's right. open to any and everybody. Mm -hmm. And with so much trending on Facebook, I know that there's a spot for what I have to say. Now, you bring up Facebook, and you are 33. I'm not picking on you, just, just I'm trying to, to draw a generational difference. A few weeks ago, I had three Shiloh youth here. Uh, uh, I believe the oldest one was 17, the youngest one was 15. And uh, we were talking about social media because I have concerns about how young people use social media or how they exploit themselves or allow themselves to be exploited through social media. And we got to talking about the various social media sites that are out there, uh, Instagram, Facebook. And one of the things that they agreed on immediately is that Facebook is for old folk. <laughs> they said, K kids don't use Facebook anymore. Kids our age don't use Facebook anymore. Do, do you agree with their assessment or do you think that Facebook is still a viable uh, social media outlet for young, uh, young African Americans? I think Facebook is still a good platform for young African Americans. Uh, I do know that some youth between the ages of maybe 13 to 17, they're more of an Instagram Mm -hmm. person or Instagram crowd the more than the Facebook crowd. So I don't even, in fact, I don't even have anybody on my friends list from Instagram or Facebook that's younger than 22. Uh, I, I don't allow children to follow me and I don't follow children. Oh, sure. <laughs> and sure. I don't follow children. But um, I can kind of see, I don't necessarily see the presence of those younger children on Facebook much because, like I said, they're not my friends. So mm -hmm. I don't really know from that perspective why they don't use Facebook, but 
I do know in church I see them on Instagram. Yeah. Well, yeah, because <laughs> it's it's visual and, and and there's a limit to the text that, that that's involved. And and one of the troubling things that I have with social media is that it has caused us to have a deficit in our ability to communicate uh, either in written or spoken language. All we want is pictures. E- even even when we text now, we, we would prefer to use emojis uh-huh. as opposed to writing out words. Uh, and nobody knows how to use grammar at all anymore. <laughs> nobody knows how to use a, a, a comma. Nobody knows how to use quotation marks. Nobody knows how to use ellipses. And in fact, they, they'd say, ellipse what? They don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, but I, I, I'm following that because you're saying that with your with your television project, uh, you you would probably start with with Facebook, and and I was just curious as to uh, who your target audience would be. Clearly, based upon what you just said, it would not be teenagers. It would be an older African American audience that you'd be trying to reach. Right. Okay. Um, why is it that you think? These, these stories, you, you say that there are a lot of stories that are neglected by mainstream media. Why, why is it that you think they're neglected? I feel that they're neglected because of the area it may come from, the area that the news may be in. For example, there was a story that the uh, Charles S. Kelly Community Center, which used to be the Delmont Village Community Center, has a food pantry. And a lot of people in the community were not aware that this is a new, you know, addition to the community center that a lot of people in that area utilize. So the idea of the story was presented to my news director, and he said, no, it wasn't news. So that that kind of sparked the interest in me to just go out and step out and do things on my own. And that was actually one of the first stories that I covered on my own, with another friend, of course, mm-hmm. was the food pantry at uh, the Charles Camelli Community Center. Mm-hmm. It's a community-based food. You come in and fill an application, and there's no money that you have to pay, and it's based on your income. Mm -hmm. And it's food from the uh, Baton Rouge uh, Food Bank. So it's USDA-approved food, and like I say, you just come in and just fill an application. A lot of people didn't even know that until they saw my little story about it, and people started sharing it online on Facebook, started sharing it online, and the director actually called me and told me that because of my story, a lot of families were able to come in and to get food for their families. So, your news director, uh, we won't mention which station it okay. is, your, your news director rejected the story, but you went on with it independently. Mm-hmm and got positive feedback from it and made a difference in the lives of people as a result. Uh, my recent experience with with, with uh, Baton Rouge uh, broadcasting has been a little troublesome. Uh, we had an incident in, in our community uh, regarding Metro Council and some uh, clergy uh, took issue with uh, the stance that certain people had taken uh, uh, against uh, certain Metro Council people who were exercising their rights with regard to how they were going to vote. Uh, our issue was not so much in, in defense of the position that they took or in opposition to the position that they took. Our, our position had to do with the fact that they had the right to do it and that they shouldn't have been vilified as a result of it and that the vilifying was evidence of a bias that existed 
within our uh, city government. <clears throat> and we, we thought that it was worth uh, the time and the energy to put together both a written and a video statement. In fact, it, it, was, it was done right here in this office at this table. And yet when we tried to give that video to uh, the broadcast, uh, the, the news outlets in the community, we were roundly rejected. Uh, uh, social media became the outlet. Social media and the Rouge Collection, uh, Gary Chambers' uh, 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 website, uh, put it out there on our behalf. But we could not get WBRZ. We could not get hmm. WVLA. We could not get WAFB. We could not even get public broadcasting to to uh, produce to to share. Uh, the video that uh, we had produced. And uh, uh, we were actually challenged by virtue of the fact that uh, none of the churches that were represented were a part of the Metro Council District that was under question, which is a ridiculous uh, 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 challenge because none of the people who voted live in that district either. And the fact that the churches do not reside within that area does not mean that the churches do not have members that reside in that area. For us, it was a bogus uh, uh, excuse as to why it was not considered to be newsworthy, not, not considered to be important or relevant. I say all of that not to, to bring any kind of uh, attention to what we did I say it to, to, to as a long way of getting around to this question is it news when the news outlets determine what they will and will not uh, it, it, is it balanced is it fair is it uh, equal when the news outlets determine what they will and will not put before the public just for the record, I see what you did there. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I caught it. I thought it was cute. It was very cute. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's not fair. It's not equal, and it's definitely not balanced. You have a, a city where three major news stations are competing against each other, and they're going for the story that's going to get them the most ratings and the most viewers, and. I don't mean to sound racist when I say this, but if you have a person at the top that is not of color and that is not aware of what's going on in the black community, they're going to automatically say no, because in their eyes, it's not bringing them the attention that they want to get from other people around it. That a story about that would not get them the pat on the back that they're looking for, the self-satisfaction that they would, would need to go to sleep at night. They wouldn't get that. So that's why they're not going to... You don't see their presence much in those areas. And I saw the video of the pastors, you know, calling out the community on the issue. And I mentioned, it was mentioned at a certain station. And the very words were, that's not what we cover here at this station. That's not news. Another reason for me to want to branch out and step out on faith and do my own thing because you have people like this that want to hold you back. Things like that that go on in our community, we need to be aware of it. 
the, no, the news, mainstream news is only giving us one side of the story. And that's the story that they want us to stick with. They don't want us to know anything else aside from what they are telling us. And sometimes what they're telling us is not always the truth. So you're stuck with these other people that try to feed you some type of knowledge when you know that it's not that. But here I am, me, blessed with this talent that God gave me that I'm trying to utilize so that my people can get to see other sides of the story and understand for themselves what's going on. I, I, I can only imagine how frustrating it is when you have been a part of this industry and you see the direction in which it's going and uh, you're not given the opportunity uh, to exercise the gifts that God has given you. So I applaud you for having the uh, wherewithal, the, the, the drive, the motivation uh, to branch out and I wish you nothing but success in that area. Um, what beyond individuals like yourself and Terrence Turner, the producer of this podcast, uh, who has his own uh, entertainment group and others in the community have their own entertainment group. What is it going to take for African-Americans to move more to the mainstream or move more to places where their work is seen by a larger audience? I think just a little bit of effort, maybe more dedication and hard work. A lot of us are close to that point of being mainstream, but like I said, there's probably something in front of us that's stopping us, or a person that's stopping us, or whatever reason is stopping us from being mainstream. We have to get over there. For me, I had a, a huge fear of being mainstream. I even had a huge fear of doing this podcast, but you know, God is good, and I'm here. But I lost the question. <laughs> what What do you think it will take for uh, African American uh, journalists, uh, producers, uh, to have the opportunity uh, to have their work seen by a larger audience in this community? If WAFB and WBRZ and WVLA uh, and and whatever the Fox. Uh, numbers uh, or letters are if 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 they have decided that this is not newsworthy this is not something that we do then is it going to take African Americans having their own uh, media outlet on on broadcast television uh, in order to have the audience uh, that 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 you're looking for Yes, it's going to take us having our own platform to reach out to our people because the responsibility that we have is a big responsibility on our shoulders. And we're responsible for getting that information to the public, to the black community. And we would have to have our own, aside from the white people, no offense to them, but we would have to have our own, our own platform in order to reach our people. Yes. And I, I bring that up kind of rhetorically because I, I, I know that that's the, the, the answer. But I find it troubling that, that, that I, I have discovered about uh, getting older is that you, you have a tendency to look back on things and realize how little has changed over a, a, a long span of time. When I was a child, 
you had the State Times and the Morning Advocate, uh, which were the, the the main newspapers that you had in the city. State Times went away a long time ago, and now it's just the Advocate newspaper. But in order for black news to be publicized, you had to have separate black publications. You had to have separate black newspapers. You had the weekly uh, reader, the, the, the news leader, I believe is what it was, what it was called. And, and still today, you have uh, venues like The Drum and, and the weekly press that go out there to cover stories that are not covered by uh, the mainstream newspaper. Fifty some odd years later, we're still having to develop uh, these alternate uh, media uh, packages in order to tell our story. And for me, it's a little bit disheartening that in, in, in the span of my life, we have not moved very far in the area of, of equal opportunity to tell our story. So, uh, I, 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 again, I, I applaud you for what it is that, that you're trying to do, but I also recognize how, how much of an uphill uh, struggle that can be. So, what do you see as your future? Uh, you're not from... Baton Rouge. You, you said you're from Winsboro. Yes. Do you see Baton Rouge as your as being a part of your future, or do you think that you might have to leave Baton Rouge in order to accomplish your goals? Right now, Baton Rouge is my home, but in the future, I pray that God takes me farther with my talents. I would like to travel. I would actually like to be a motivational speaker that travels around the world, utilizing the skills that Shiloh has equipped me with. Shiloh has played a vital part, a huge role in everything that's taking place in my life right now. And it's because of the foundation that I received here. With all the backlash that's going on in the media, I'm able to stand against it because the word that I've gotten from Shiloh is what I use that keeps me motivated. That comes from having a good pastor. Oh, look at that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. That, that's very kind. Um, again, one of the reasons why we started this podcast was to give me an opportunity uh, to interact with people uh, like yourself, talented, driven, intelligent, thoughtful, articulate people. Uh, in a venue different from Sunday morning worship experience or midweek Bible study where I don't really have the opportunity to have real conversation and real exchange. Uh, one of the things that, that uh, I have uh, confirmed, I had already thought it, I already had an intuition about it. One of the things that, 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 have been, that has been confirmed for me is that a lot of African-American young people don't see Baton Rouge as being a part of their future, not, not their long-term future, uh, that in order to accomplish their goals, they have to leave here. And for someone who never wanted to live anyplace else but Baton Rouge, who, who was born and raised here and considers Baton Rouge to be fertile ground and, and a place full of potential and possibility, it's a little concerning to me that African-American young people with talent and skill feel like they have to take that talent and skill away from Baton Rouge 
in order to accomplish their dreams. What can we as a city, more specifically, what can we as the church do to stem that tide, that 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 uh, brain drain uh, that that we are seeing, where our best and brightest are going to Houston and to Dallas and to Nashville and to Atlanta and to Memphis and and farther, uh, moving away from Baton Rouge, taking their talent away from it. Is there something that comes to mind that that you could suggest that we can do to help stem that tide? I think Shiloh is doing a big part right now with the summer youth enrichment because I think that gives the youth a hands-on look at what they want their future to look like and working with those professionals hands-on is what giving this would give those gives them the experience that they would need and they can they're able to decide if it's Baton Rouge just want to be my home or based on what I want to do in life where would I need to live to be able to survive off of the, you know in the field that I want to go in um Maybe, let's take a time out. I think the church is doing a big part. Shiloh is doing really well with that. Um, I don't think there's anything else the church can actually do. You're bringing in people, you're bringing in professionals to talk to the youth. You're sending the youth out with these professionals to work. So that right there is establishing the connection or relationship right there with the outside world and that profession that those students want to go in. Um, And that's what's important. A lot of people don't recognize what they want to do or realize what they actually want to do in life until after college. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's because they haven't necessarily had that experience on the back end of going out during the summer or interning as a youth before they even got to college to know what they wanted to do. So I think Shiloh is equipping our youth with those tools and with those necessities to where they're able to know whether or not they want to live here in Louisiana or, you know, move out and see what else is out there. Thank you for taking the time, Kenyatta, to to share with us today. Uh, it, it It's always a breath of fresh air to be around you. I enjoy your presence all the time. And I look forward to having many more years before you venture out. Years <laughs> of having you here with us at Shiloh. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of this Thrive Podcast. We'll be back again next time.